Told you there were a lot of things in family time, and we even missed one of them. May 26th, that's a Thursday evening, uh, just because the men are getting left out here this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's a men's game night. May 26th, Thursday, if you're interested in that, which of course you should be, right? Uh, you could speak to Will Haney or uh, Alex Toya about that or myself, and uh, we can get you that information uh, coming up uh, this particular month. Resilience sees beyond the visible to what's most real. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And as I read, look and listen for all the references involving this concept of seeing the invisible. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such, such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been making the country, they had, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to re return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Pray with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, we need to see. And we need to see beyond the visible to what is most real. Would you open the eyes of our hearts this morning? Deepen our certainty 
of what is most real. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 6 through 13 as we take our Christian walks to a whole nother level. And I've offered you a number of R's in this regard. First of all, we have to receive the promise and believe what God has given us. And then we need to deepen our relationship with Him, first of all, but then also with others. That there is no relationship with God that is not plural. In every sense, He Himself is a plural in three persons. And He intends for us to be in relationship with Him and all of the rest of those that He loves as brothers and sisters uh, of uh, ourselves in Christ. And so we're to be in relationship with Him and with each other. And then we talked about rest and how absolutely essential that is for us. If we're going to take this whole Christian walk to, the other, to, to a new level and to finish as well as we may have started, we've got to build that into our lives. And so we spent a month talking about that. Took a break for our missions conference and our uh, Easter season. And now we want to finish with these two final R's so that we do finish well. And they are summed up in these terms. Resilience and resistance. In these last two, we are definitely going to need each other to accomplish this. Resilience is the power or ability to return to an original form after being bent or compressed. It's the idea of elasticity, to, to bounce back. This is a proactive pursuit. Do this. And that's what we're talking about. Last week, this week, one more time next week. Bouncing back. Make sure you do this. Then we're going to talk about resistance. Resisting or withstanding. Intentional intransigence. Have you used that word this week, by the way? Just throwing it out there. You can use it anytime you want. Intentional intransigence. We don't really use that word very much. It's the idea of, of withstanding, of, a, of opposing in a positive sense. Don't do that. And we'll get to that. But as we talk about resilience, last week we took our first step and we said that resilience remembers what happens. We looked at that in chapter 10. Remember what you did and exhibit that again. Bounce back. Proactively pursue these things. Remember, remember the person we answer to who is just. What you do does matter. Remember the pasts that we've faced and those are difficult many times. And how we care does matter. And remember the promise that we have received, that He has much more in store for us. And we need to see beyond our present. And that does matter. And we're going to deepen that this morning. So we started by looking back and considering what resilience would help us by reflecting back and on the present. Now I want us to, to look in another direction. To this seeing beyond the visible to what's most Real And it's time for another formula as I give you these as we walk through the book of Hebrews. What resilience sees is greater than anything visible. And we see that right off the bat in the first verse of chapter 11. Faith is the certainty of an invisible reality. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The fact is, the visible actually comes from the invisible, right? By faith, in verse 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. 
that's not visible. It's invisible. So that what is seen, visible, was not made out of what was visible. But we just work the opposite way. Man tends to find his certainty in, in what he can see, in things visible, tangible, verifiable, scientifically, confirmed by the human senses. Instead, the reality is the most certain things that exist are invisible. I placed a stool on this stage. You're quite sure, certain, that I, when I sit on this stool, it's going to stand, right? Dare I trust it? Can I trust it? You sure? I wish I had one that would just fall apart, but I don't. It's going to hold me, right? Why? Oh, because it's visible. You can see it. You can touch it. You can verify it. Do you know that this is going to hold me because it's visible? No. You know it's going to hold me because of what you don't see. That is, that there are people who make stools in such a way that they're firm enough that when you look at it and you go and sit on it, it'll hold you. Because it could be a trick stool that would just fall apart, right? It isn't because it's visible that it holds me. It's that it's we trust the fact that most people aren't smart, Alex, and when they make stools, they mean for you to sit on them. And if they sell you a product and it doesn't hold you, then you're not going to buy another one. So they're going to make it good, right? What you're trusting is actually what's behind it, what's invisible, what you cannot see, what you, you can't verify. Well, you know that over time that's been true, and so you can verify it, but you're trusting over time what you cannot see. Take a current event. How do you know that Osama bin Laden is dead? How do you know that? You weren't there, at least so far. I haven't seen any pictures. I've seen pictures of the place. I've seen pictures of, you know, the area and what they did. And they got some shots of when they were training for it. And they got this and they got that. And even if they're pictures, you know what they can do with Photoshop nowadays, right? How do you know that that's so true? Nobody... Uh, not a betting man, but I'm pretty sure there isn't anybody here that doesn't think he's dead. Why do you know that? It isn't the pictures that verify in your mind as much as it is, as it is the surrounding intangibles. Like what? Like the strength of the U.S. military force? Like the resolve that for more than, we've had for more than nine years to find this man? The certainty that there is intelligence gathering out there that would ensure the accuracy of the situation. Even the DNA confirmation is a report you trust that you cannot see. Because you know that there are those that are making sure that they get this right. You trust what you cannot see. As a matter of fact, this intangible reality is so true that there are those out there that are questioning this invisible reality. There are uh, conspiracy theories out there, particularly in other parts of the world, that say, now nah, they didn't really get him. 
and they're denying this truth, but because of the very fact that what's behind it we cannot see. Yet you trust it because of all that's behind it. You see, the most real things are actually invisible. Like the command of God to create an existing visible world. And so the author lists these examples of faith and a faith that sees beyond what is visible. And notice the invisible themes in these examples. Noah in chapter se- in uh, verse 7. When warned about things not yet seen. Now, have you ever wrapped your head around this whole Noah story? It had never rained, let alone flooded. You with me on that? It's going to rain, folks. It's going to what? It's going to rain. What's that? Stuff's going to fall out of the sky. What stuff? Water. (laughs) Okay. And I'm going to build an ark. They didn't even know what a boat was, let alone an ark. You see? He saw beyond what was visible to what was invisible. Abraham. Verse 10, looking forward to a city built by God. He saw something yet unseen. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Moses, by faith, Moses' parents hid him because they saw no ordinary child. They were seeing something that wasn't there yet. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What more shall we say then, he says in verse 32. Do I have time for, oh Gideon, he saw a victory no one else saw. Samson. He couldn't see anymore. (laughs) But one more time, he believed. And God acted. David. Saul saw a giant. David saw a God so much bigger than some thug named Goliath. Samuel and the prophets, they saw so much more than the rebellious people ever would. So why these examples of, uh, of such sight-filled faith? Because he wants us to do the very same thing. Resilience sees beyond the visible to what is most real. What resilience sees is greater than anything visible. Verse 6 now. And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who wants to please Him, who comes, uh, anyone who comes to Him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, look for him. And that's not kind of a, um, I've already looked and seen him and I'm done. It's not a one and done. Uh, been there, done that. It's not something you try once, you know, like uh, sushi, you know. Yeah, I tried that, didn't like it. That's not what this is saying. Um, It's not something you get certified in 
and it's over. Yeah, it did that. Right, I was born again once. Done. That's not what this is saying. Yeah, I passed a life-saving course. I'm a certified lifeguard, you know. I, I do CPR. I, I had the spiritual Heimlich maneuver. I'm good. That's not what this is saying. Seek Him as a continuous action. Seeing beyond the visible to what is most real. I have found the only thing worth looking for. Searching after. Believing is the greatest thing and it is invisible except to the eyes of faith. And God is pleased through that. He must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly continue to seek Him, pursue Him, see beyond the visible. It doesn't take much, does it? How much faith does it take to believe? I love throwing that question out there. Can, can you weigh it? Can it be quantified? Does it fit in a bottle? Does it fit in a box? How much faith does it require to believe? It isn't much, is it? it? It's just the tiniest little bit. But the trick is, it has to continue. Right? How about the story uh, of the uh, Mark's rendering of the, of the uh, transfiguration? Uh, Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus goes to the mountain and he's there with Peter, James, and John. He's transfigured. He comes down again. The other disciples have been waiting. There's a man there with his son who's demon-possessed. And they have already driven out some demons, but they can't drive out this one. And so they say, Lord, well, you know, what's the deal with this one? Well, some take more prayer. And this man cries out, If you can do anything, have pity on us. Oh, he wishes he'd taken the if out of that phrase, right? Because the Lord looks at him and goes, if, if I can, everything is possible for him who believes. And then the man says, oh, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. How much did it take? Not much, but it had to continue. That's continuing to seek him. God is pleased by that. We must believe that He exists and then it follows that He rewards those who persevere and continue to seek Him. Look for Him. The same word is used in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's in the context of worry, remember? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to have this and I haven't got enough money for tomorrow. And He says, don't worry about those things. If worry is continuous, why shouldn't seeking be continuous? And it's the answer, in fact. Because we know how perpetually we worry. And with that is supposed to be countered this seeking after Him, this continuous looking. I was talking about this um, at the breakfast in the garden. And, and, and uh, we, we had a drama that morning and that spoke of this, this, this heart of this woman, overwhelmed by her circumstances and her situation, and wanting to have this continuing relationship, this deepening walk with God, but he was so invisible, so invisible that she found herself talking to him on a cell phone, and he wasn't really there, but she just felt better because she talks to everybody on a cell phone. And, and the whole point of it we brought out was that something changed the morning of the resurrection. 
Something radical changed. Up until that point, they couldn't believe because it hadn't been accomplished and they, they needed to see what this Son of God was going to do. But once He'd accomplished it, He actually absented Himself, didn't He? You couldn't believe until I did it. But once I did it, oh, now everything changes. Mary comes to him and grabs onto him and says, don't touch me. I haven't gone to my father yet. There's a change in relationship. I want you to seek me invisibly. There's a change of behavior because we're responsible. Don't touch me, but rather go and tell the other disciples what has happened and tell them that I'm going to meet them. Now she has to do something in response. There's even a change in blessing. Thomas won't believe unless he sees and touches because that's what's most verifiable. Well, that's not true. Once it was verifiable, what did he call him? My Lord and my God. That's a whole lot more than just a human Jesus. You are everything to me beyond what I can see. Oh, you believe because you saw? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. The blessing changes. There is greater blessing in trusting and believing in what is most real that you cannot see. And we stand in this privileged place in time and space to be beyond what can be verified just physically, to trusting what is most real beyond what we can see. So, what is most real? I think the answer to that question includes many, many things. But through the three examples that I've picked out of this chapter, I'd like to give you a few of them. And and take this concept of seeing beyond the visible to what is most real and render it as practical as I can. Talking a little... You know, uh, spiritually certainly here and philosophically to you. Let's render this as practical as we can. Let me offer three things that I believe are real, most real. And then we'll give some principles and some action steps. First of all, Noah, God has my best interest in mind. That is a real truth. Most real. Invisible, beyond what is visible, but most real. Why would Noah be a good example of that? Well, God protects me from my worst outcome. I mean, the world was so pursuing everything that it wanted, physically, tangibly, to accomplish and to have and to pursue and to enjoy that he decided to wipe it all out. Noah, the righteous one, who didn't want to go that way, don't know that he was perfect, but he didn't want to do that, God had his best interest in mind. And he protected him from going to his very end, where everybody else was going. Isn't this true? You don't want to go where you really want to go. Think about your natural sinful tendencies. You don't really want to go where you want to go, right? Because we've all done that just enough to know what a mess that can be, right? When we give ourselves permission 
to, to follow that fleshly pursuit. And, and then get ourselves in a mess. And then, and then we say, oh, why did I go there? You don't want to go where you want to go, right? We've all messed up enough to know that that's true. God has your best interest in mind. What parameters he builds into our lives. His commands that are invisible. That he asks us to pursue. His righteousness that he asks us to ask to, to have Him work out in our lives are our best interest. Now, there's a process involved in this. And this is, of course, the difficulty with it. The process we have to walk through is the unknown. And that's Noah's example. He had to do, he had to then pursue what was unknown. Only what is seen is unknown. God's best interest is certain. And that's why he gives us these accounts. Only what is seen is unknown. You don't know what's going to happen in the future and you're going to see it work its way out. That's what you don't know. What you can know that's absolutely certain is that God has your best interest in mind no matter what visibly, physically actually happens. Are you with me? Do you remember my mud hut fear that I keep going back to? I've told you this story many times, you know, but I was, I was born in Africa. And I accepted uh, the Lord as my Savior as a real young child. And uh, even still young and very impressionable, I told him I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. And that meant, okay, born in Africa, I love Jesus, I'll do whatever Jesus wants, I'm going to live in a mud hut in Africa. That's what I figured it meant. It just all added up. And when I got to, you know, some kind of uh, age of um, accountability or wisdom or uh, foolishness or something... I began to wake up and go, wait a minute. I gotta go live in a mud hut? I don't wanna live in a mud hut. I can see that, and I don't like that. And what, ha- what turned me around? Remember the promise? Romans 12, 1 and 2? Right? Offers your bodies as living sacrifices, and that's acceptable to God? Can't see that, but it's true. It's pleasing to Him, He says. Acceptable. Wonderful. And if you do that, first verse, then verse 2, he'll do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, you may find that will of God, that which is good and acceptable, pleasing to him. It's going to be pleasing to you. All I had was a promise. I couldn't see it. But I can tell you now, after all these many years, I never made it to the mud hut. My worst fears were not realized. Only what was seen was unknown. But the promise has been true all along. Never compromised. Never changed. He has my best interest in mind. He has your best interest in mind. So here's the real practical principle. Only what is seen is unknown. God's best interest is certain. Act on what is known, not what is seen. Some of you don't want to trust what can be known, just what can be seen. Don't do it. (laughs) You'll you'll be in a perpetual pursuit of the unknown. Because only what is seen is unknown. What can be most certain is actually unseen. 
God is offering you protection from your worst outcome. Because you can't guarantee your best interest, but He can. So, first real truth, God has my best interest in mind. Act on what is known, not what is seen. Second example, Abraham. God has better things in store. That also is absolutely true. Uh, we often talk about uh, prayer having uh, three answers, right? Prayer has three answers. What are the three answers? Yes? No? Wait. Like to offer another one. Not another, not another, not a, not a fourth answer. I heard somebody say, I didn't invent this. I heard somebody say there are only two answers to prayer. Yes? And? Better. Better. You're either praying according to His will, and that's a good thing, and He likes it, and He wants it, and so He says, yes, that's good. If He doesn't say yes, what's He got in mind? Something even better. Abraham's faith is amazing, actually, right? There's no precedence for this, it would seem. Um, the, the story just picks up and... I don't know what kind of God sensitivity he had and openness, except that he responded in faith. But it didn't seem like he was around a bunch of God-fearing people who taught him how to respond to God in faith. But God comes to him one day and says, I want you to go from here to there. No idea where we're going, but I'll go. It's really remarkable. And the difference is a faith in what God says is better. Well, your God, and we know that he believed he was God because it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so, whatever you tell me to do must be better. Now, there's a process in this one. In the first one, it was the unknown. In this one, it's the unwelcomed. Because he walks into a land that's going to be his, right? <laughs> Excuse me, you can all leave now. This is my place. It didn't work that way. In fact, he lived in a tent, you know. He'd dig a well and somebody would say, no, 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 that's my well. This is my land, you know. And then he'd have to move somewhere else. And, and even his son, same thing. Kind of vagrants moving around, not receiving what was promised, but only seeing it from afar. And then there were all kinds of unwelcome things. Uh, circumstances and famine and, 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 and the son God promised and the son God didn't promise. And we're still living in the mess of that to this very day. And then even the sacrificing of the one son that he did have that God had blessed him with. All unwelcomed things. Have you ever had to go places you didn't want to go? I have. I wanted to go uh, anywhere but Brooklyn, New York. I mean, I didn't have anything against Brooklyn. I mean, it wasn't like I, you know, I thought it was the worst place in the world or anything. It's just I was not David Wilkerson, okay? And back in those days, you know, he was still doing his thing and he had just finished his work in Brooklyn. And who am I to go work with a bunch of gang kids in New York City? I didn't want to go there. You know where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Allentown and I wanted to work under Ken Spence. I've told you that. God said, no, I want you to go there. Unwelcomed. 
It's one other place, too, in, in Italy. We, we, we worked in a city of Bologna, and we were really basically filling in for somebody. And when they came back, it was necessary for us to move somewhere else. And so we wanted to go to another city, Ferrara. But a bunch of circumstances changed, and the mission, and leadership, and our, 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 um, our missionary presence in that country doubled from 20 to 40 missionaries, and all of a sudden there was a need for another guy to do uh, more in leading, and, and somebody had to go take his place, and so nobody wanted to go there. Okay. In both of those places, where we walked into the unwelcomed, we left having seen the unimaginable. I've still got a part of my heart that lives in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm glad I can live around here and see it every once in a while. We went to a city that really didn't fit our personality in Italy, and yet we left having accomplished something that was unimaginable just seven years before. There is a process of the unwelcomed that we have to walk through in believing that God has better things in store. And that's part of what faith is all about. Here's your real practical principle out of this. Only what is obeyed is blessed. God wants to bless. So what are you supposed to do? What's the action? Obey what He says and watch Him bless. But you won't know until you do it. Only what is obeyed is blessed, and God wants to bless. Some of you are resisting what you do know He wants you to do. See, the previous point was from people maybe weren't sure of what they could know. (laughs) But now, in Abraham's example, some of us here are resisting what we do know God wants us to do. But you're afraid of the unknown, the un, excuse me, the unwelcomed. You're afraid he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. He might. But all I can tell you is, from my experience, walking into the unwelcomed, because I knew he wanted me to do it, only led to seeing the unimaginable that I couldn't have imagined prior to that. Only obedience will unlock the unimaginable. Final example, Moses. Another thing that is most real. God has more to offer than just this. And this is taking our last point to a deeper level. We need to see beyond the visible. Like his parents did, they saw no ordinary child. And like he did, Reaching beyond, but there's a process here to work through too. And that's the unencumbered. Where's Paul? That's a word that doesn't exist. Well, it does, it, that exists, but I'm going to change it in a minute. I make up words every once in a while. Deal with it. So, there's a process to walk through, and that is the unencumbered. And this is some of what I skipped in verses uh, 4 to 6. These first two examples, and they're Abel and Enoch. They, were, they pleased God. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it. They obeyed, and that obedience is acting on your faith. 
this is right, it's true, it's trustworthy, but most of all, it's pleasing to the one who's asked you to believe Him and trust Him and obey Him. You see, this is obedience more than just my receiving what He wants for me, but actually, Him being blessed through me and by me. This is a deeper obedience. And many of us can testify to this. I find my Lord is never done pruning me, purifying me. And I'm not going to tell you all about what that means. But it's bittersweet. It's bitter because He's relentless in bringing to light dark areas of my life. But it's sweet in His forgiveness and His shaping and is making me more like His Son. The process here is one of being unencumbered. Unencumbered. You see, getting rid of more stuff that holds you back. And we're going to talk about this next week as we get to chapter 12. It's just a hint, but the real practical principle here is only you can limit what He wants to do in you. He can be pleased through you. That's an amazing thought. He's so good and gracious to come and to die to save you and to forgive you and to offer you so much. But then it comes full circle. And that's the amazing part. He takes you and all of your failings and your weaknesses and yet with all of your abilities and your gifts and He turns you into something that is pleasing to Him. But that comes with a growing present state of being even more unencumbered. Some of you have walked this path a long time. You've been going to this church for many, many years. And you're smug in your growth. I'm only looking in a mirror, okay? Because, you know, since a little guy been doing this, same thing. We get Smug. Yet, none of us has walked with Him so well that there came a day when we were just taken up to heaven. Anybody here name their children Enoch? Can you try, can you imagine trying to live down a name like that? Oh, Enoch. Wow. You'll never die. Nobody does that. He's the only one. He walked so closely with God that God said, we're going to skip the death thing on you. You just come with me. How amazing. How unencumbered. How loosed of all sin and failings and weaknesses that He would walk with God so closely. Please, His God, so greatly that he would just take him to heaven. Can you imagine? That's truly being unencumbered. Only you limit what God wants to do in you. And he wants to be pleased through you. And he can be. So, here comes a word that doesn't exist. Unencumber your life and he won't be the only one pleased unencumber your life and He won't be the only one pleased. You will be. As will all of the people that are around you. 
Resilience. Resilience remembers what happens. It reflects on the past and the present and realizes the way things are. But resilience also sees beyond the visible to what is most real. So, see that God has my best interest in mind. Only what is seen is unknown. God's greatest interest and concern for me is what is most certain. Act on what is known not what is seen. God has better things in store. Only what, o- what is obeyed is blessed. So God wants to bless. Obey what He says and watch Him bless. And God has so much more to offer than even just that. And only you can limit what He wants to do in you. He can be pleased in and through you. So unencumber your life And He won't be the only one pleased. Let's pray. Father God, You are so very, very good. Forgive us for trusting what we only see. Open our eyes to what is most real. That You care for us more than we can ever know that you have much better things in store for us that we have yet to experience. And that we might be so unencumbered that we would offer you what is most pleasing to you. By faith, would you work these things out in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.